This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, Rachel and I will be talking with Ruth Javati, a disability inclusion consultant at TetraTech Australia about the topic of disability and the vital role that engineers play in making buildings more accessible for people with disabilities. We'll also discuss some of the common barriers that prevent people with disabilities from progressing in life, the impact of inaccessibility on their mental well-being, and touch on some of the legal aspects addressing disability needs and considerations for engineers to ensure accessible structures. I'm your co-host, Nat Cardle. And I'm your co-host, Rachel Holland. Now let's jump into the conversation of the week. Before we go on here, I would like to take a minute to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Menard USA. Do you have projects where you are faced with building on soft or loose ground? Does it seem like all the good sites are taken and you're always building on poor soils that are a challenge for conventional foundation approaches? Menard may be able to help. As a specialty ground improvement contractor, Menard works nationally and internationally providing design-build ground improvement solutions at sites with problematic soils. Typical projects include warehouses, buildings, material storage piles, embankments, roadways, port facilities, storage tanks, platforms, and more. In many cases, ground improvement is less costly than traditional approaches such as removal and replacement or piling systems. Menard works closely with civil, structural, and geotechnical engineers to minimize foundation costs for wide ranges of soil conditions, structure types, and loading conditions. To learn more about Menard USA or for help on your next project, please visit www.menardusa.com. That's www.menardusa.com. Hey, Ruth, welcome to the podcast. And to start off, could you share a little bit about your personal journey and how you became passionate about advocating for disability inclusion? Thank you, Rachel and Matt, for having me. Uh, it's an honor, and I'm grateful for this opportunity. How I became passionate about advocating for disability inclusion was um, because of my own lived experience. I acquired my disability paraplegic when I was a freshman at um, one of our local universities back home. I'm currently studying here in Australia, and uh, home is Papua New Guinea. It's the largest Pacific Island country in amongst the Pacific Island nations, and our closest neighbor is Australia. We're north of Australia. As I said, I was just um, starting uni when I came down with malaria meningitis of the spine, and it affected my lower limbs. And I've been using a wheelchair since um, 2008. Uh, I withdrew from studies, and then I came back in 2010 to continue, and I emailed the university before coming back. I asked them if I could come back uh, on a wheelchair, and they said yes, but they gave me a condition. They said that um, I have to change courses from health to IT because the health buildings had a lot of stairs and the IT buildings were on the ground floor. 
So instead of removing the barrier, which was that upstairs, they wanted me to adjust to the barrier and change my course to IT. And I had no interest in IT. I didn't see myself working with a computer. So I said no, and I went back home. And that was the drive that um, made me passionate about advocating for disability inclusion. You mentioned your own personal one that led to this path for you, but what are some of the common barriers preventing people with disabilities from progressing and enjoying life like everyone else? There are a lot of barriers, but I'll uh, just name the four common barriers, and they are attitudinal barrier, communication barrier, physical and environmental barrier, and policy barrier. Attitudinal barrier is people's own perception of people with disability, like just seeing people with disability and feeling sorry for them or just having this thought that you can't do much and we're supposed to donate and help you like charity and all that. That's an attitudinal barrier. It discriminates stereotypes and pushes uh, people with disability further, like marginalizes them. Communication barrier is anything to do with reading, writing or hearing, like if there's a video and there's no caption, that's a communication barrier for a person with um, hearing impairment. And physical or environmental barrier is uh, similar to my case where it's anything to do with an um, obstacle that prevents a person with disability from moving from one place to another. My example would be the stairs that prevented me from continuing in the course that I wanted to. And um, policy barrier is when government and organizations that companies that make um, policies that are not inclusive of people with disability. I come from a country where we still do not have um, inclusion in the education system, so a lot of people with disability are left out. So these are the four common barriers that I usually keep uh, people with disability from uh, progressing in life. Yeah. yeah, I know you mentioned that your case where it actually affected your education with your disability. How do all these barriers, what do you see often in terms of you have these barriers, and what do other people with disabilities, uh, how does that affect their lives that you see mostly? For a person with disability, they may face all four barriers in a day, or maybe one or two. Like for my case, I faced um, environmental barrier and policy barrier. Environmental barrier was the stairs. Instead of removing that barrier, they wanted me to adjust and do an IT course. And for policy barrier, the university did not have any like policy to support people with disability, students with disability to continue the choice, the course they want. They wanted me to adjust and do the IT course. So those are the two um, barriers I faced. And I was given just one option, which was I declined, and that was the end of my education in Papua New Guinea. But these are barriers that usually when they come together, they isolate a person with disability and they marginalize them even further. If a uh, Person faces, they can face either one or two or even four of them. And like it just uh, prevents them from living a normal life like uh, people without disability. What steps can individuals, organizations, even policymakers take to address these barriers effectively? In general, like if you do not know something, you ask the right people or you ask an expert in that area. So from my experience, I would say that forming a partnership with disabled persons organization and hearing from their stories and how to best improve the environment to make it in a way that it's accessible for all. Usually a disabled person organization will have all people with different sort of disability in that organization. So hearing from them, partnering with them and consulting them will um, make it give ideas to you how to build in a way that is um, inclusive. 
and also by doing like consulting people with disability it satisfies the statement uh, nothing about us without us which is currently the best practice in inclusion so anything to do with people with disability you have to talk to them because at the end of the day once you finish the structure and you've gone they'll be the one using it whether they're going to use it whether it's going to be accessible for them or not they have to be included at the beginning so that at the end of the day it'll be easy for them to use like everybody approaches things from their own lived experience right so if you don't have that lived experience you need to reach out to people that do make sure it'll work yes and accessibility i imagine that would have a mental toll on your mental health and not just physical, but if you have that inaccessibility, what does that do to your mental health or some of the mental struggles that people, by not having the being accessible, how does that affect the mental health of people with disabilities? Inaccessibility definitely is a huge uh, impact on people with disabilities, mental health and uh, emotional well-being because um, it causes loneliness, isolation, severe dis- uh, depression, and just lack of livelihood like you can't go anywhere you are stuck in in your house and there is uh, like so many barriers out there which inaccessibility is a contribution to them and that's what i went through when i first acquired the disability i have i couldn't get out uh, of my gate because um, the road was not made for wheelchair i come from a country where Disability inclusion is not fully recognized yet, so every day it's a struggle for people with disability in my country. It really had a a toll on my, like, uh, just my mental health, emotions and all that. But when I came to Australia in 2019 to do my studies, uh, like, I thought that I came to a place where I haven't built for people with disability, especially a wheelchair user, because I could go onto the train, access the bus, the tram. I could go anywhere, everywhere. I was free. I could, I could feel that I was free. I could do anything. And I really enjoyed it here. And like the best thing about it was it made me forget that I had a disability. But back home, I just stayed at home. I saw my, I woke up. I saw myself that I couldn't get out. And I, I knew that, okay, I can't get out because I have a disability. But when I came here, I, I felt that like I could do anything. I was free. I went everywhere. And it just made me forget that I had a disability. So... Structural engineers are at a unique position where they either help to build and support our mental health and emotional well-being or they keep us trapped in our houses and like it goes down, we go down with spiral where we are depressed, isolated and kept away from the world here around us. You mentioned like a couple of things that structural engineers can do. So like Matt and I, you know, probably always thinking like just building, building, safety, building, but like you take it a little further that like we actually have the ability to really impact somebody's mental state too. So is there anything you can think of that like we especially could do to raise awareness, like work towards fostering a more inclusive environment? The best way to work towards fostering more inclusive environment would be to include people with disability at every stage, from consultation to design to construction. By doing so, they help to design a structure that is accessible for all and uh, no one is uh, isolated or vulnerable. Or another way could be to hire a people with disabilities organization. They could come into the organization, to your organization and run like quarterly human rights training, accessibility training, disability inclusion training, so that it just raises your awareness as well as uh, keeps you 
reminded when building any structures. So there will be one, uh, two ways of raising awareness of uh, structural engineers of how to build inclusively to get people with disability into the organization to run trainings and so that engineers could be aware of what to, how to build inclusively. Before we go on here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Jumping into the architecture, engineering aspects of things, I believe you have uh, three essential factors that architects and engineers should consider when designing a building or structure to ensure that it's accessible. Could you go through those things? The three essential factors would be consult with your state law or the government legislation, building code on accessibility requirements. Uh, if the law or the building code is truly inclusive, it will require you to build them. Um, features for the four types of disability, people with hearing impairment, vision impairment, intellectual disability, and those with facing mobility challenges. That's the first thing you should do, consulting your own state law or the government legislation. The second one would be to ask a person with disability. The best way to do that is to have a consultation meeting with DPOs, Disabled Persons Organization, because they will have people with different types of disability in the organization. And having to talk with them, them sharing their experience of whichever inaccessibility they faced, it, it'd be like give you ideas of um, how to make it more inclusive. The third would be to have a few people with disability on your board or with different disabilities on your board or even employing a person with disability so that every day it's a reminder you see that person and you think like when designing a building you think how does my friend get into that building so just by seeing that person or having that those board meetings you are reminded to build them inclusively i have an example where i went to this state uh to this place here in queensland it's called malulubai it was very accessible and more accessible than brisbane city so i asked the lady what happened like in brisbane city there are some places where i can go and she said that on our board city control board there's a person on, on wheelchair so every time like if he doesn't talk every time we're designing a building justice present in the room makes us to think we have to build for this person too so just having someone on the board with us to remind you to build inclusively that's the importance of having a diverse team a diverse board it it reminds you of we're designing the built environment for all types of people and Hopefully that transfers to what you were saying with, with point number one, uh, getting it into the government so it becomes you know mandatory and more widespread. Yes. Yeah, I remember a professor in college, I think, said something along the lines of like the built environment is for all people. And so like when you look around and all people are different, like by including them all on your board, your design team or whatever, like as much diversity as you can get on that team you're going to have your end product is going to serve more people because just as an individual, you can't think of anything because maybe you haven't lived it. You know, I'm a little bit familiar with like the ADA requirements and things like that in code, but are there any specific laws or regulations in place that address the needs of people with disabilities 
And can you provide some insight on those laws and, and what their impact is? Each country has its own like building regulation, like Australia has its own, America has its own, but the best guide for both countries to use can be the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disability. It's a legal document that provides a guideline on how to be inclusive of people with disability in all in all aspects of life, particularly Article 19 of the UNCRPD talks about people with disability living independently. So in order for them to access to shops and parks, um, the Article 19 talks about how to be inclusive of all life. I like what the late Stella Young says. Uh, she's a very strong dis- disability advocate for people here in Australia and uh, she says that my disability exists not because I use a wheelchair but because the broader environment isn't accessible. Like the wheelchair is our legs, we move around with our wheelchair but when we have our, like stuff like stairs and all that it's difficult to get into the shops or get into the bank so I would say that UNCRPD the document is a good document to like guide your buildings and all that structures and all that yeah. So for the those legal frameworks, how do those influence the design and construction of buildings to make sure that they are uh, inclusive and accessible? Those legal frameworks would be only useful and influential if it is uh, properly implemented. And in order for it to be properly implemented, a person with disability has to be involved at every stage from consultation to design to uh, construction because at the end of the day, they are going to be the one using the building and they will be the ones to say that whether this is built correctly or they'll like give advice as you go along. I have an example where my brother built a house and the carpenter said he knew how to do the ramp and I said, I, I have a feeling you won't do it correctly and he said, no, I, I know how to do it. And I said, I'll, I'll come and test it. I'll just do it with um, wood. Don't do it with um, concrete. And I went and sure enough, it was too steep. So I told him, if you did, did it with concrete, it would have been hard work to break it down again. And he said, no, I, I thought I knew. I said, you have to, like, this is going to be something I'm going to use every day. So I have to be there to test it at the beginning. Those legal frameworks are only useful and influential if you have people. Like, it can be a law. You might think that I've went to school for that, I've studied for that, I know what to do. But when at the end of the day, half the time, the lift or especially the ramps are too steep for people with disability. Your passion for advocating for accessibility and equitable inclusion is inspiring. So thank you for sharing your story with us. I'm curious what advice you have for individuals who would want to join this movement for disability inclusion. My advice would be to uh, search for disabled persons organization in your local area and um, volunteer there or become a member just so that you mingle around with them, get to know the story, get to hear the story. And also, like if you become a member, they'll send you a monthly newsletter where you can read and know what's happening in and around the world and where you can help um, also to join the disability inclusion movement. People with disabilities have to be involved in every stage of consultation, designing, and construction. And like once the building is complete, you have to advertise. Advertise the building to say that this building is can be accessed by people with disability, which is uh, the four types of disability, hearing impairment, vision impairment, and um, people with mobility issues as well as intellectual disability. Usually when they say 
this is an accessible building. Like the first thing that comes to people's mind is only people that will check in access that building. But uh, to be truly inclusive is to include all four disabilities. Uh, how do you make that building truly inclusive for all four of them to access that building? And one way of knowing that is getting to know them, talking to them. They'll be the ones telling you how to make the building inclusive for them. And looking ahead, Ruth, what are your goals and aspirations for the future in terms of uh, furthering disability inclusion and, and breaking down these barriers? My goal and aspiration is to do like more of this sort of advocacy, talking to specific um, sectors about disability inclusion. Like today is the engineering sector and I'm advocating for how to make buildings um, inclusive of all four types of disability. I would like to do the same for like the health department, the transportation department, and the education department so that I'm not talking against people with um, disability, technical disability officers or advisors, but it's just that I believe that you have to leave the experience to tell the story. And then if I tell you the story of like my the carpenter that uh, I had experience with the carpenter or other stories about if somebody fell off, I remember it like it sticks, it paints a picture in your mind. So when you build, you think of that, pic uh, that picture or that story, but someone telling you from the book and telling you how to do it is not, it's not really going to stick in your head. So I'd like to do more of this sort of a podcast just to raise awareness of people, how to be inclusive of people with disability. I find it inspiring because obviously you went through unfortunate things in your life, but you turned it into a positive. And even though it's a disability, you know, you can share your story and you can join organizations and, and do what you're doing right now to really uh, help a lot of others that are going through the same thing, which may not have happened, you know, if you didn't go through the things that you went through. So I definitely appreciate you sharing your story with us and, and talking about it. Cause yeah, I think a lot of architects, engineers, it's probably not the first thing on their mind because maybe they don't have someone with a disability or, or talk to anybody. So I uh, just want to thank you for doing that and sharing your story. Thank you for having me and I look forward to doing more of this, just enlightening people on how to be inclusive. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. Uh, to leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you're going to find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources or websites mentioned during the episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in your structural engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.